Section 11 of the Book of Ser Marco Polo, The Venetian, Concerning the Kingdoms and Marvels of the East, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ramon Escamilla. Conway, Arkansas. Chapter 6. Concerning the Great Island of Java. When you sail from Chamba, fifteen hundred miles in a course between south and southeast, you come to a great island called Java. And the experienced mariners of those islands who know the matter well say that it is the greatest island in the world, and has a compass of more than three thousand miles. It is subject to a great king and tributary to no one else in the world. The people are idolaters. The island is of surpassing wealth, producing black pepper, nutmegs, spikenard, galangale, cubebs, cloves, and all other kinds of spices. This island is also frequented by a vast amount of shipping, and by merchants who buy and sell costly goods from which they reap great profit. Indeed, the treasure of this island is so great as to be past telling and i can assure you the great khan never could get possession of this island on account of its great distance and the great expense of an expedition thither the merchants of zaitan and manzi draw annually great returns from this country chapter seven wherein the isles of sondur and kondur are spoken of and the kingdom of lokak when you leave chamba and sail for seven hundred miles on a course between south and southwest, you arrive at two islands, a greater and a less. The one is called Sonder, and the other Kondur. As there is nothing about them worth mentioning, let us go on five hundred miles beyond Sonder, and then we find another country which is called Lokok. It is a good country and a rich. It is on the mainland, and it has a king of its own. The people are idolaters and have a peculiar language, and pay tribute to nobody, for their country is so situated that no one can enter it to do them ill. Indeed, if it were possible to get at it, the great Khan would soon bring them under subjection to him. In this country, the Brazil which we make use of grows in great plenty, and they also have gold in incredible quantity. They have elephants likewise, and much game. In this kingdom, too, are gathered all the porcelain shells which are used for small change in all those regions, as I have told you before. There is nothing else to mention except that this is a very wild region, visited by few people. Nor does the king desire that any strangers should frequent the country, and so find out about his treasure and other resources. We will now proceed and tell you of something else. Chapter 8 of the island called Pentam, and the city Malayur. When you leave Lokok and sail for five hundred miles toward the south, you come to an island called Pentam, a very wild place. All the wood that grows thereon consists of odoriferous trees. There is no more to say about it, so let us sail about sixty miles further between those two islands. Throughout this distance there is but four paces depth of water so that great ships in passing this channel have to lift their rudders, for they draw nearly as much water as that. 
and when you have gone those sixty miles, and again about thirty more, you come to an island which forms a kingdom and is called Malayur. The people have a king of their own, and a peculiar language. The city is a fine and noble one, and there is great trade carried on there. All kinds of spicery are to be found there, and all other necessaries of life. Chapter 9. Concerning the Island of Java the Less. The Kingdoms of Fairlek and Basma. When you leave the island of Pentam and sail about a hundred miles, you reach the island of Java the Less. For all its name, tis none so small, but that it has a compass of two thousand miles or more. Now I will tell you all about this island. You see there are upon it eight kingdoms and eight crowned kings. The people are all idolaters, and every kingdom has a language of its own. The island hath great abundance of treasure, with costly spices, line aloes, and spikenard, and many others that never come into our parts. Now I am going to tell you all about these eight kingdoms, or at least the greater part of them. But let me premise one marvelous thing, and that is the fact that this island lies so far to the south that the North Star, little or much, is never to be seen. Now let us resume our subject, and first I will tell you of the kingdom of Berlek. This kingdom, you must know, is so much frequented by the Saracen merchants that they have converted the natives to the law of Mohammed. I mean the townspeople only, for the hill people live for all the world like beasts, and eat human flesh, as well as all other kinds of flesh, clean or unclean, and they worship this, that, and the other thing. For in fact the first thing that they see on rising in the morning, that they do worship for the rest of the day. Having told you of the kingdom of Fairlek, I will now tell of another which is called Basma. When you quit the kingdom of Fairlek, you enter upon that of Basma. This also is an independent kingdom, and the people have a language of their own, but they are just like beasts without laws or religion. They call themselves subjects of the great Khan, but they pay him no tribute. Indeed, they are so far away that his men could not go thither. Still, all these islanders declare themselves to be his subjects, and sometimes they send him curiosities as presents. There are wild elephants in the country, and numerous unicorns, which are very nearly as big. They have hair like that of a buffalo, feet like those of an elephant, and a horn in the middle of the forehead, which is black and very thick. They do no mischief, however, with the horn, but with the tongue alone, for this is covered all over with long and strong prickles, and when savage with any one they crush him under their knees and then rasp him with their tongue. The head resembles that of a wild boar, and they carry it ever bent toward the ground. They delight much to abide in mire and mud. Tis a passing ugly beast to look upon, and is not in the least like that which our stories tell of as being caught in the lap of a virgin. In fact, tis altogether different from what we fancied. There are also monkeys here in great numbers and of sundry kinds, and goshawks as black as crows. These are very large birds and capital for fowling. I may tell you, moreover, that when people bring home pygmies which they allege to come from India, tis all a lie and a cheat. For those little men, as they call them, are manufactured on this island, and I will tell you how. 
You see, there is on the island a kind of monkey which is very small and has a face just like a man's. They take these and pluck out all the hair except the hair of the beard and on the breast, and then they dry them and stuff them and daub them with saffron and other things until they look like men. But you see, it is all a cheat, for nowhere in India nor anywhere else in the world were there ever men seen so small as these pretended pygmies. Now I will say no more of the kingdom of Basma, but tell you of the others in succession. Chapter 10 The Kingdoms of Samara and Agroyan So you must know that when you leave the kingdom of Basma, you come to another kingdom called Samara, on the same island. And in that kingdom, Messer Marco Polo was detained five months by the weather, which would not allow of his going on. And I tell you that here again neither the pole star nor the stars of the maestro were to be seen, much or little. The people here are wild idolaters. They have a king who is great and rich, but they also call themselves subjects of the great Khan. When Messer Mark was detained on this island five months by contrary winds, he landed with about two thousand men in his company. They dug large ditches on the landward side to encompass the party, resting at either end on the sea-haven, and within these ditches they made bulwarks, or stockades, of timber. For fear of those brutes of man-eaters, for there is great store of wood there, and the islanders having confidence in the party supplied them with victuals and other things needful. There is abundance of fish to be had, the best in the world. The people have no wheat, but live on rice. Nor have they any wine, except such as I shall now describe. You must know that they derive it from a certain kind of tree that they have. When they want wine, they cut a branch of this, and attach a great pot to the stem of the tree at the place where the branch was cut. In a day and a night they will find the pot filled. This wine is excellent drink, and has got both white and red. It is of such surpassing virtue that it cures dropsy and tisic and spleen. The trees resemble small date palms, and when cutting a branch no longer gives a flow of wine, they water the root of the tree, and before long the branches again begin to give out wine as before. They also have great quantities of Indian nuts, as big as a man's head, which are good to eat when fresh, being sweet and savory, and white as milk. The inside of the meat of the nut is filled with a liquor like clear fresh water, but better to the taste and more delicate than wine or any other drink that ever existed. Now we have done telling you about this kingdom. Let us quit it, and we will tell you of Degroyan. When you leave the kingdom of Samara, you come to another which is called Degroyan. It is an independent kingdom, and has a language of its own. The people are very wild, but they call themselves the subjects of the great Khan. I will tell you a wicked custom of theirs. When one of them is ill, they send for their sorcerers, and put the question to them, whether the sick man shall recover of his sickness or no. If they say that he will recover, then they let him alone till he gets better. But if the sorcerers foretell that the sick man is to die, the friends send for certain judges of theirs to put to death him who has thus been condemned by the sorcerers to die. These men come and lay so many clothes upon the sick man's mouth that they suffocate him. 
and when he is dead they have him cooked and gather together all the dead man's kin and eat him and i assure you they do suck the very bones till not a particle of marrow remains in them for they say that if any nourishment remained in the bones this would breed worms and then the worms would die for want of food and the death of those worms would be laid to the charge of the deceased man's soul and so they eat him up stump and rump and when they have thus eaten him they collect his bones and put them in fine chests and carry them away and place them in caverns among the mountains where no beast nor other creature can get at them and you must know also that if they take prisoner a man of another country and he cannot pay a ransom in coin they kill him and eat him straight away it is a very evil custom and a parlous now that i have told you about this kingdom let us leave it and i will tell you of lambri end of section 11 recording by ramon escamilla conway arkansas r a m o n e s c a m i l l a dot wordpress dot com